chapter 2, verses 4 to 19, and that can be found on number four, page 4 of the Church Bibles. This is the account of the heavens and earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had sent no rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But the streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Fission. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of the land is good. Aromatic resin and oinks are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field, and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 10, and may be found on page 1098 of the Church Bible or on the screen behind me. <clears throat> the Choosing of the Seven. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, 
Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. a little loud. Heavy breathing. Thanks. That's great. So uh, for those of you who weren't in church this morning, there's a little little, um, challenge for you to figure out in advance why on earth I chose the first reading um, for, uh, for our vision Sunday. So see if you can See if you can get there before I come back to it at the end and uh, explain why. Well, I've been vicar of St. Jude's for seven years now. And I'm very happy to say there's absolutely no sign of a seven-year itch. No, uh, no desire to be going anywhere else. Quite the opposite. Every year, St. Jude's is a more exciting place to be. There is more stuff happening here. Um, more people are being touched, we're more engaged with the world, more exciting things that we're doing. There's more sense of God's love for us, of people's lives being changed. What I love, what I absolutely love about St. Jude's is the amazing sense of unity that there is as we follow the vision that uh, Christ has given us, as we, as we follow the vision of Christ that is set before us. I know um, uh, leaders of other churches and they have split leadership and they have split congregations and it's a nightmare. And I am so blessed to lead a congregation that's really united behind the vision that God has given us. Another thing I absolutely love about St. Jude's is the way that we invite people to join us. People maybe that we don't have... uh, um, we don't have much in common with or in whose company we might feel uncomfortable, but the way that we really welcome people in, all sorts of people. I love that. I'm very proud of that, of you guys. And above all, what I love about St. Jude's is the impact that Jesus is making on the lives of individuals. I was chatting with, um, with an elderly lady who comes to the first service, and she was reminding me this morning of how her life has been absolutely transformed as she has been part of St. Jude's. She says it's, it's like a miracle. It's like 
God has given her her life back. And all those years um, that, that were taken away from her have been restored here at St. Jude's. And I just love that. But don't just listen to me. Listen to each other. Why don't you turn to somebody sitting next to you and, and ask them what they like about St. Jude's. And if you've only been here, if this is your first time in St. Jude's, then you could just say what you like of the last half hour. And if you've been coming for um, 60 years, then you can say, why have you carried on coming all this time and haven't gone somebody else, somewhere else by this stage? So why don't you turn to the person sitting next to you and say what you like about St. Jude's. What's good about St. Jude's? Here are a few things that you might have said.
So each year, we move a little closer to what Jesus wants us to be like and what he wants us to be doing here in South Sea. But I know that there's so much more that he wants of us, that he's got a really, a really powerful picture of what he wants St. Jude's to be like, what, what he wants us to be doing, a really exciting purpose that's specific to us. Perhaps it will be as a united parish with St. Simon's. Perhaps it won't. But I know that Jesus has a really significant job for us to do here. You could sum it up perhaps using the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations in South Sea and Portsmouth and to the ends of the world. Well, that's a big statement, of course. covers a lot of ground. What does, what does that include within it? What do you think that involves? What is it that God has called us to be? What, why has God planted St. Jude's right here in this part of South Sea? So why don't you turn back to the person you were chatting with and say, what do you think St. Jude's is for? Why, is, why has Jesus put St. Jude's here? you might have thought of.
So two or three years ago, two or three years ago, the PCC agreed a 10-part vision for St. Jude's. Um, the first half, five parts of it, coming off our banner from our five key areas. So worship, a place where the worship would be wholehearted, where you could feel the presence of God, where people could meet Jesus and discover they're loved, and where people are healed and forgiven and empowered. In terms of fellowship, a place where everyone feels welcome, where no one goes unnoticed, and where everyone has friends, where people learn how to care for each other and are there for each other when bad things happen, as Tony was saying. In terms of discipleship, a place where people find relevant answers to the questions that they have, where their lives are challenged and changed and transformed as they discover more about Jesus and commit more of their lives to him. A place where people uh, rise to the to the challenges that Jesus is setting them. In terms of ministry, a church where people have learned compassion for the lost and the least and the broken. A place where people aren't too proud to wrap their towel around their waist and get, get down on their knees and wash people's feet, as we were hearing last week. Um, a place where, um, where people are ready to bless their community. And in terms of witness, a group of people who are confident in what they believe and uh, how to share it with others and are discovering exciting and uh, uh, how exciting and important that is to do that and are always having new ideas about how to do it better. And because those five things are happening in the church, so the church itself is growing. A church that's growing in numbers and impact on the community because it's healthy and vibrant and God is fulfilling his purposes through it. Um, a place that's growing as a family where people, um, children are coming and finding uh, the Lord Jesus together with their parents and those who don't have children are coming and finding that they belong in the family of Christ. A place where people are growing in leadership, where um, people are just having a go at leading others and that they're getting better at that. They're gaining in uh, confidence and skill and they're maturing in character and they're always looking for other people to draw into leadership with them. A place that's growing in partnership that's not just kind of stuck in its own tunnel vision but is actually looking out and is learning to partner um, more widely 
um, with the diocese and uh, other churches across the world. And finally, a church building which is expanding too, which isn't just looking closed or as if it's falling down, but is attractive and is helping us to fulfill our vision and is full of a sense of joy and of peace where people feel at home in Jesus' presence. In short, we believe that like Portsmouth Harbour, God has called us to be a haven for those who are flying from the storms of life, to be a shipyard where people are getting rebuilt for um, new and different journeys, a provisioning yard where people are taking on provisions and resources and equipment that they'll need in the journey ahead, a training base where people are learning new skills and updating their knowledge and honing their life skills, and a strategic headquarters where people are discovering their commission from Jesus to fare out into the wider world and do his work, witnessing by word and action and character to his love. A place where we discover the specific meaning for each of us of Christ's words, go and make disciples of all nations in South Sea and Portsmouth and to the end of the world. A great vision. But for all of this to be true, we need a bit of organization. I was chatting with a guy this morning who has a responsibility for a number of dockyards, and uh, he says, yes, a lot of organization goes into, uh, goes into a harbor, into a port. He says there's a team of um, 20 uh, logistics people who look after the, um, the Portsmouth Harbor. Well, over the last six months, a number of significant members of staff have left St. Jude's, and those of us remaining have been doing our best to keep running and to keep things going, but we've been feeling the strain. So the PCC commissioned a report from a, um, a highly respected national church consultant, a guy called John Truscott, who's got experience with churches of all sorts, um, but particularly uh, growing churches and larger churches, and uh, his particular area of expertise is administration and organization. And the PCC asked him how we need to reorganize ourselves if we're to step forwards in this vision that we have, fulfilling this vision. Well, he had lots of interesting suggestions to make, some of which were rather uncomfortable, some of which were rather obvious. Um, but the key ones of which were that right at the start of our staff team, right at the core of it, sorry, we need, we need a strong trio of leadership. Um, we need to appoint two senior colleagues for me. So we need to have somebody who is... Uh, um, well, uh, the good thing is he felt uh, confident in saying that we already had in me somebody who could offer strategic um, vision and leadership, who could offer teaching and, uh, and uh, leadership and governance and, uh, and be uh, our ambassador, our relationship with the outside world. But alongside me, he was saying, we really need um, somebody who will look after um, the ongoing day-to-day -day relationships and, 
and pastoral and spiritual life of the church day by day. So um, somebody who would be um, like an associate vicar, um, full-time working alongside me. And thirdly, here reckon we need somebody who's able to look after all of the organization, all of the kind of detail of the structure and the uh, systems of church life. Not just to do it, but to actually have the big picture, the strategic view, and to be able to see how we need to take these, those things forward. So a trio of, uh, of, of senior leadership at the staff, uh, at the core of the staff team. And uh, his suggestion of those two was that we could appoint the associate vicar next year, but that we needed to get on as quickly as possible and appoint um, what we might call an operations manager. Somebody who would then help us to deal with all the other practical uh, struggles and issues that we've got um, in, in terms of our church life. And we should do that right now. So here's the question. Why would we need an operations manager? A few answers.
more we need to do we're halfway through uh, yeah, the initial the original project to transform the inside and we need we need help to focus that uh, project forward we don't need somebody who is who understands the Thanks, Nick. If I could have the um, PowerPoint screen. So the next step for us as we pursue our vision to appoint an operations manager, someone who can coordinate our Sunday logistics for our worship, someone who can help us improve our communications, fellowship, someone who can manage major change and look after safeguarding and health and safety, discipleship. Ministry, someone who can mobilize and train volunteers. For our witness, allocate resources for outreach. And in terms of a growing church, growing in numbers, overseeing our strategic plan. Growing as a family, giving us a strong organizational base. Growing as leaders, recruitment and development. Growing in partnership, liaising with the diocese. And expanding our building, looking after all those building projects that are on the way. Okay, so um, back to Genesis. So why did I choose the passage from Genesis? Because the first task that was given to mankind after God created them and set them in the garden, the first task that God gave to mankind was an administrative task. It was to name everything. Because without a name, you can't step into relationship. You can't create pastoral relationship with all those that you have responsibility for. You can't develop identity. So the first job that mankind had was administrative. And one of the powerful starting points that we have for our community life is to understand who it is who's part of our community, to give us all names. And we struggle in the back office there to trap all those names and to, uh, to create good, strong relationships that can flow from that. It's an organizational task. So I want you to hear that as we're thinking um, operations manager, operation, uh, as we're thinking administration, we're not thinking, you know, just routine, kind of this and that, just kind of organization. What we're thinking is something that goes to the core of who we are as a community. 
This is a spiritual role. This is a God-given task to enable us to be the people of God, to be able to fulfill the vision that he's given for us. And so, my connection to the passage in Acts, I'm always tremendously excited when I see that the first appointment that uh, the, the original church, the new church, um, after it had got its, its apostles, but they were appointed by, by, uh, by Jesus, and then they filled up one of those. So they filled up their number of apostles, and the next appointment that they made was an administrator, was an operations manager. Because the early church, at that moment in its life, came across a tremendous, a, a devastating pastoral crisis that could have split the church in half and wrecked their fellowship before they even got going. And the solution to that pastoral crisis was not more prayer and, uh, and uh, counseling and uh, preaching. It was to get an operations manager who could figure out how to get the right amount of food to the right people. And that's what released the apostles for their tasks of prayer and preaching. So God called an operations manager, an administrator, a team of them in fact, to deal with a pastoral crisis. And the result of that, of having made that appointment, was the church was released and more people came to faith. The church grew. And I think it's tremendously exciting uh, when I look at this passage, to see that um, the primary qualities in the person specification for the operations management team that the early church appointed at this crucial moment was not IT. It was that they were full of the Holy Spirit. So I put that in my person specification. Somebody who is full of the Holy Spirit. Because when people are full of the Holy Spirit, who knows what's going to happen next? In fact, once he'd sorted out, once they had sorted out the, uh, the eating crisis, um, St. Stephen was out there on the street preaching and performing miracles in Jesus' name. So that's gone in the job description. Okay, we need somebody who can go out there on the street for Jesus and be ready to perform miracles in his name. Fantastic. And then, of course, opposition arose to the early church. And that operations manager found that what he was doing next was calling on his deep knowledge of Scripture and his commitment to the Lord Jesus, his relationship with him, and his wisdom that, that the Spirit had given him, and was defending the church. And then you'll remember... that as crisis, as uh, persecution deepened, that operations manager found himself to be right on the front line and became the church's first martyr. I haven't put that in the job description. <laughs> thought it might not help. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is what I'm talking about to you is not just we need some more administrative help. What I'm saying is we need a leader that God has in mind for us. Yes, we have particular strategic and organizational jobs that we need to do. 
And if we can solve them, we will release the potential of this church, of this congregation to fulfill the vision that Jesus is giving us. And that's a deeply spiritual task. But the kind of person that we need is also the kind of person who's going to go out there and be an evangelist for Jesus. He's going to go out there and defend the church. He's going to go out there and be ready to give his life. I'm saying he because it's St. Stephen. His or her life for Jesus to lead us forwards. And I trust that I'll be on the street and in prison alongside my operations manager as God uses us in amazing new ways, in ways that challenge South Sea and us, in ways that call us and fulfill in us the vision that, that, that God has for us, that help to bring to reality this amazing picture that God is giving to us of becoming a working harbor, sheltering, rebuilding shattered lives, provisioning people for the future, training and enabling, and commissioning and sending people out into God's world, into God's ministry. As we follow his call to go and make disciples of all nations in South Sea and Portsmouth and to the end of the world. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, so exciting to be called by you in your ministry for your purposes, for your mission. Thank you for gathering us, drawing us together and uh, choosing us and empowering us to be your heroic followers who go out there with you to do the work that you're doing. And Lord, we're sensing that we need help in doing that, just as the early church did as well. Help to organize ourselves and coordinate ourselves and to see forward strategically the places that you're wanting us to be and to help us to... um, uh, to direct our resources and to uh, draw people in, to encourage us and to strengthen us and to coordinate us as we give ourselves to your work. Lord, I'd, I'd like to ask that you would release amongst us the resources for this person. But even more than that, Lord, that you would be raising up this leader, this person, to come and bless us with their presence with their labor, with their leadership. Lord, I know you've got your eye on them right now. They're in your heart for us. And Lord, would you bless them right now tonight? Would you bless them? And would you be starting to give them a a godly discomfort where they are, a sense of the readiness of the time to move? Would you free them up for us, Lord? Blessing the place where they're currently working and making them ready for us. Someone who loves you, someone who, who seeks your face, someone who is, um, 
who's uh, got the skills and the capacities, and someone who's going to be fun for us to work with, Lord. Someone of great character, someone of great faith.